since we've made this shift in the way that we run our practices, I've really noticed a change in our performance during the game, and it's been a very positive one. And today, that's really what we're going to talk about, how to really get the most out of that practice session so that you can see the changes in your environment, in your practice environment, having a positive effect in the game situation during the weekend. Prepare for a soccer coaching revolution. Come with me on a journey to discover the latest methods, techniques, and tactics that will transform you into a more effective coach, player, or soccer parent. Whether you're a seasoned coach or a beginner, growth never stops. I'm Sagab Rabinovich, and this is Soccer Coaching Mastermind. Well, this weekend was a classic game and probably one of the most important games that I look forward to every year. And it was the City and Liverpool game. Now, for me, there were so many talking points in this game. And there were three major ones that I really want to get into. And the first one has to do with Doku. Doku has done such a great job playing on that wing for Manchester City. And the more you watch him play, the more confirmation that if you can master one deceptive dribbling move, you can use it at the highest level over and over and over again, and players still won't have a chance. He pretty much just uses the same move over and over again. Get that ball in the wing, get that ball on the inside of his foot, tap, tap, tap. When the defender comes in, either he takes it out with the outside of the foot, or if the defender gives him space, then he'll just take it with the inside of the foot and bring it to kind of the other foot uh, to keep possession of the ball and beat the player in that 1v1 deceptive dribbling situation. So for me, it's a really interesting concept that even at the highest level, all you really have to do is just find one move, master it, and practice it over and over and over again. And when you get it to that level, then you could still be the most effective player on the field, which I think he was uh, one of the most effective players on the field. And he has to be to take that spot away from some of the best wingers in the world, right? So great job to him. Um, So that was a really interesting game uh, to watch him and to take it from that point of view. Now, the other really interesting part of that game was Manchester City's press because it was really, really well done. The way that they just, I want to say, obliterated the Liverpool build out of the back game. Now, you know, Liverpool is still Liverpool, so they still had some success. But Manchester City was really able to frustrate uh, Allison the Liverpool goalkeeper, and it produced a lot of mistakes for him. You know, I, I you can't say that the goal was because of that, right? Because he drop kicked it and he just kind of, you know, I messed up the kick and then the defending was, you know, at, at a very bad level. So I don't think that's it. But Manchester City did create some opportunities from pressing really, really well. And then the last talking point for me which again is is really interesting and and didn't really have anything to do with the game was 
I don't know what kind of feed uh, you were on, but I was on Sky Sports. And for a majority of the game, there was like a buzz in the background. And to the point where at a certain point, I had to mute my TV to make sure that it wasn't coming from my end. Later, I go on social media and I find out that Everton and what's going on, which I've spoken about in the past, they hired a plane to go, I guess, in circles with a sign, uh, you know, with what's going on and kind of saying how, you know, everyone should kind of be, especially Manchester City, should also be, uh, you know, deducted points. So what an interesting and creative uh thing that the Everton fans did uh when I saw it you know I laughed and I I thought that was you know great you know you the understanding of Manchester City and Liverpool being such a high profile game and then them doing something very clever which you know is a really great protest way you know it, it doesn't hurt anyone um it's you know very peaceful um, but it's annoying, and I loved it. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned before it, 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 in the last episode, it makes sense. You know, the this is not the supporters' fault, but they're upset, and it's great to see them protest things in a way that you know isn't violent. You know, so I, I really, really liked that, um, and I, and I agree. You know, I I agree with what's going on. So. Uh, for them, you know, uh, a, a very well done. But what a game that was um, overall. Um, for me, Manchester City was the better team, and I think they deserved the win. Uh, but can't take anything away from, you know, the ability to, in a high-pressure situation, finding a way to score and, and get the points. You know, that's that's the attitude. That's That's what you need at the highest level to be successful, the willingness not to give up and keep going at these tough situations these high pressure situations so a great game all around um you know as a manchester city fan uh that for me was you know great watching their press uh continue to evolve and and playing against a team with uh you know the coach who you know jurgen klopp who is known for his pressing right so uh to have manchester city kind of go back and perform at the level that they did against a team that is supposed to be an expert at a press, which means that they practice it a lot, which means that they should be able to kind of disband those types of pressing. So um, that was really impressive for me to watch. Well, this past weekend, I attended a course uh, run by the city of Aurora, which is where I am. It was a mandatory course uh, that I did uh, forever ago, but can't seem to find it under my kind of licensing uh, that I have. So in Canada, the way it works is you've got this thing called an NCCP number and every single uh, course that you do is under that. So uh, for some reason, they couldn't find it, even though it's a prerequisite for some of the other courses that I've already have my other licenses. But regardless of that, um, I want to talk about this course. So the course is called Making Ethical Decisions. There are two components. There is an online version, uh, which is an exam, and then there is an in-person one. The online is pretty simple, uh, and the in-person is just four hours. So I went on a Saturday, 
and uh, I want to talk about my experience. So let's start with the positive, and I say that singular, <laughs> positive, uh, and it's a big positive. The course was free. Um, it was run by the city of Aurora, which is where I live, um, so that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, that's one of the first times that I've attended a course in person that was free and it was funded. So um, that to me is a huge positive, actually, not, not, not a little one um, and not one to skip over because that's really important, uh, having free education for coaches. So, um, yeah, so that, so that was really great. Now, these courses are geared for coaches that are starting out. So uh, I want to keep that in mind because it's a, it's a big, big uh, part of this course, right? So these are, uh, even though most of the coaches weren't young, it's very much geared towards newer coaches, which are usually, you know, 19, 20, 21, uh, and even some high school students as well that have to do this course. Now, the course was called Making Ethical Decisions, and that's really, for me, where the problem starts. I had a huge problem with the content of this course um, because I, I think the whole concept of the course is wrong. Making ethical decisions is really what it sounds like. It gives coaches different ethical situations that you put yourself in and talks about you know how you should handle it type of thing. And as an owner of an academy, I had a problem with that because, well, let me do this. I'm going to give you the scenario that they gave me. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you kind of the overview and it, it, it give you the exact scenario. So here's the scenario, right? Uh, it's a U16 girls team. You're a coach. And uh, before practice one day, uh, I think it was two or three girls. Let's go three. Three girls from the team come up to you and they say, uh, you know, Sally, who is one of their teammates, uh, has been liking uh, these social media posts that are very, uh, they promote self-harm and just doing bad things to yourself, right? So whatever that entails. Then it talks about that you pull Sally out and you talk to her alone about this situation. You ask her kind of what's going on, all this, all that. And then she pretty much tells you, uh, you know, uh, don't tell my parents. I don't want anyone to know about this. And then uh, it's like, what do you do as a coach? So that's the situation. Now, I have a really big problem with that, a huge problem with that, because think about what it's advocating. Again, this course is taught to kids, right? High school kids. Uh, it's taught to new coaches. And even if it wasn't, even if it was taught to you know, professional coaches, I don't care. I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to get some backlash for it, but who are you to deal with this? You're not a social worker. You're not a professional at dealing with this kind of thing. Why are you going up to a 16-year-old girl 
and bringing this up. To me, that's already a problem, right? And we're going to talk about why that's a huge problem, especially from my end as an academy owner, right? But the right answer is as soon as those girls come up and talk to you about it, you don't even talk to Sally. You go straight to the parents. That's the right answer. That's where that stops. And this shouldn't be an ethical decision. This shouldn't be a decision. This should just be someone talks to you about anything. You see anything, you go report it to the right person, whether it's a person's parents, your technical director. I don't care. But you cannot interfere at all. You're not trained for that. And think about what we're teaching now, right? We're teaching high school students that if someone comes up to you, if, a, if one of your players come up to you and they tell you they're getting bullied at school, they're getting this, they're getting that, your job is to deal with it. You're not equipped to deal with it. You're not. Unless you're a social worker, you work for maybe Kids Help Phone or something. But the general public, the general coach, the average coach is not, is not, and should not deal with this type of thing. Let's take that a step further, okay? What does this look like, right? Perception is reality. That's what it is. You have a conversation with three girls, right? And then you have a conversation with Sally. That's four, right? On a team, there's usually, let's say, 18, right? 11 plus a bench. Let's say 16 show up to practice. Out of those 16 girls, four know what's going on. So 12 girls on the field have no idea what's going on. And you're talking to a girl alone. Now, They brought up the rule of two. The rule of two is something that is taught in a course by itself. That's how important it is in Ontario, which is essentially you should never be alone with a player. That's really kind of the gist of that whole thing. And the argument here is that you're not alone with a player, right? Because everyone can see what you're doing. Everyone can see the interaction, but no one can hear what you're saying. And that's a problem because again, out of those 16 girls, right? 12 don't know what's going on. None. So they're seeing that and they can infer anything. And here's what's worse. Parents watch practices. So the parents see that too. They don't know what you're talking about. They don't. And you can't tell anyone because Sally told you not to tell the parents. So what a problematic situation you've put yourself in. That makes absolutely no sense. And that was the consensus that I had throughout every single example. Why are you putting yourself in this situation? So in my opinion, the course itself is a huge problem. You don't deal with ethics as a coach. Listen, if you're a university coach, I would even argue that if you're a university coach, you shouldn't be doing this stuff. If there is a problem that is not soccer-related and even some soccer-related problems, you should not deal with it. You shouldn't. You don't have the expertise to do that. You're a soccer coach. You're not a psychologist. You're not a psychiatrist. You're not a social worker. You're none of those things. And this course is advocating for more coach intervention, right? And that's not okay. So for me, 
uh, that was something that I had a huge problem with throughout the whole course, right? And there was, I think he was like maybe 21, 22 year old in that course. And he's getting fed that, you know, if a kid comes up to me and tells me this, I need to handle it. No, you don't. You should not handle it. And I tell all my coaches not to handle it, right? You, sh- you shouldn't be handling this stuff. So uh, that was pretty disappointing <laughs> to see that uh, that's what Ontario soccer is teaching the youth, right? Go deal with it, right? So um, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, if you want, uh, you can put this in the Facebook group. We do have a Facebook group. I keep forgetting to uh, talk about it. It's uh, just Soccer Coaching Mastermind. So if you want to go in, talk about this, I have no problem. Uh, if you haven't been added, uh, I think we've got more, we've got way more than a thousand at this point in that Facebook group and uh, people share a lot of really cool stuff. So just a really great coaching community there that you can join and just share what you think. Share, uh, let me know how you feel about these kinds of courses that tell young kids to kind of get themselves involved in something that they have no business being a part of. I've never really been a coach who gave that much thought into the effectiveness of stats, right? Like at the youth level, I just really didn't feel like there was a point in the games to start and use statistics to really see if my team is getting better. And and, and there wasn't, there just wasn't a way to do it. I, I didn't know how much possession we had. Like I, I can't calculate that, you know? So with VO, what's been really great is the stats pad that they have there. And there are two really interesting metrics that I'm starting to pay a lot more attention to. And obviously that first one is possession stats, right? So the percentage of the ball that we've had in the game. So the game is 100% and we're consistently aiming for that 60%, right? 60 to kind of maybe even 65 range. That's really what we're looking at as being total domination, right? And what and what we're looking at. But an interesting stat that they have there is the number of passes that you connect in a row. And that's a new stat that I'm really starting to look at because what it's showing is our effectiveness on the ball. And here's why that's effective for me. The less passes in a row that we make means the less we're moving. Now, if you win the ball in the final third, that's a different story. But most of the game isn't played in the team's final third, especially in youth soccer. Most of the game is very back and forth. So If you're only stringing together a max of two passes, three passes at the most, what it means is that you're really looking at long balls, right? So we want to build out of the back. And because of that, that metric showing that we can connect five passes a majority of the time means that we're effective building out of the back. And VO has that stat, which I really, really like using. So those two metrics are really what we're looking at. Now, we're also looking at shots, right, to see how effective we are in that final third. Are we getting a lot of shots? They have a heat map as well. So I think VO is just going to get even better and better and better and more complex 
from that point of view and offering coaches a lot more. Now, uh, we do have a code that you can use with VO uh, for $200 off, which you can find in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, thanks VO for uh, sponsoring the show. And this is really what we do every Monday, right? It's going online with Zoom and just analyzing the game. And it's really good to be able to show the players these stats, right? So it's not just, oh, we did badly. We really didn't build out of the back. Here's the proof, right? The most amount of passes that we've made were three. So that means we didn't build out of the back basically at all, right? And then if we've connected five, six passes, it also shows you the number of times that happened. So the team that played the best, in my opinion, was the one that continuously was able to go from three to five passes. And we strung that 11 times during the game. So that's showing me that we're really able to connect. And this all goes back to the training session and how we've changed our training session to make them more effective. And that's really what I want to discuss today. Every team has players that are the best and have players that need the most work. That's just how it goes, right? Even in the professional level, right? You talk about the best teams in the world. They have their best players and they have the players that need the most work. That's just how it goes. And you can even number those players off in terms of skill. You know, who's the best uh, and just who needs the most work. Now, if we look at the training itself and we think about having the player who needs the most work and the player who is at the highest level and putting them together, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Why? Because the player who is at the very top isn't being challenged and the person who needs the most work, that to them is just so far out of reach right? So for me, the best way to structure the training sessions is to take an approach of let's take players of the same likeness in groups and have them together as much as possible, right? And in the past, what that's looked like is 1v1s, 2v2s, and we really structured that together. And that was very effective. But when we're focusing on things like passing, receiving, scanning, uh, the ability to receive the ball under pressure, so having a good first touch, those situations, it still needs to be the same type of environment where the amount of players that you have together are small enough that it's going to have the most effect when the players reach the training session. So now during our training sessions, we've taken the approach of let's put stations, right? So we have three different stations and within each station, because we've already broken it down, right? So if you think about having 25 kids or 24 kids and you divide that into three sessions, right? That's about eight kids per session. And then you divide that again into uh, depending on you know how many kids you're working on, but you can do groups of two, you can group, do groups of four, you can do groups of three, right? And have the coach be involved. So all these different groups really get the players playing other players of their likeness. And what you get is a much more effective training session where players have to care more, right? And they have to care more because they're in that environment, which is the most challenging for them. 
where they're playing against someone who is as good as they are. So they are constantly being challenged and having to work, right? There have been situations where players have been playing against other players that are just at a different skill level. And for that player, the player at the high level is frustrated because the other player is messing up a lot and they're not used to that, right? And you can talk about growth opportunities and leadership and all that stuff, which is fine, but that's not what we're focusing on, right? We're really focusing on developing those skills. And then you've got the other player who's feeling very pressured playing with the best player on that team, right? If, I mean, if you were in those situations as a kid, it's very intimidating, right? When, you know, you have to perform. And again, you can say, yeah, well, that's like the game. Fair enough. But that's not what we're doing in training, right? In training, we need to put players together that can help each other grow uh, technically. That's really what we're looking for right now right? Maybe there's a place and a time for it, but I don't think it's every time. Now, every time I'm in winter, which is now and we're in indoor season, I find myself falling in love with indoor sessions. I like how closed in everything is. I like how the ball can't really escape. I like the fast pace of everything. And for me, Those are the things that describe the way we want to play, right? We want to play fast. We want to play quick. And we really want to be in that type of environment that supports that. And I just don't find that the outdoor sessions support it as much. Don't get me wrong. There are really great ways to do that. But there's just so much space and it just seems so... The space itself when you're in outdoor, there's so much of it that it, I think, gives a relaxed feel to the session, which I don't like. I don't like that relaxed feel. So the environment itself in the gym, right, walls, bounce, 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 ball doesn't go out, that's really great, number one. And it's really great for passing and receiving, right, because the ability to have the wall there really allows for a lot of repetition. So we take three different stations. The first one is simply just passing and receiving technique. And what we're not doing is having the players go and pass in a straight line. That's not what we're doing. And the reason we're not doing that is because I don't think a player sees that situation a lot in the game. For me, the hardest skill is to receive the pass while you're moving. So in our second station, that's what we do a lot of. We do a lot of, can we receive the ball in different types of movement? So what are the ways that we move? We can move backwards, forwards, or sideways. So those are the things that we train in that second station. In that first station, It is really just a player and a wall, a player and a wall. And usually we also have um, blaze pod, which is just kind of like a flash. Uh, It's like a, how would you describe blaze pod? (laughs) It's a, it's like a, like imagine a circle that just flashes different lights. So we use that for scanning throughout the first stage, the second Uh, stage and then not really in the third stage of our training but in that first one it's really player and wall player and wall and it's just can we hit the ball at the right 
place with the right part of the foot and do it so that we get an insane amount of repetition so that the players understand, okay, how do we hit it? How do we receive it? How do we hit it? How do we receive it? And they get that information into their brain and their muscle memory right away and as many times as possible. So we do that within that first session. In the second session, we really start to introduce that ability, like I said, to move, receive while the ball is being played. So the ball is being played to you many times by a partner as you are moving. And the information that you're getting for muscle memory, again, is at such a high level because it's so many touches. And not only is it so many touches, but the touches are in an effective situation that is the most like the game. And in my opinion, even harder than the game, right? And then in the last session, we can really bring kind of a team component to it in a Rondo type atmosphere. So that's really the transition of what we have. And we do that in about 10 minute stations, right? So 10 minute switch, 10 minute switch, 10 minute switch back to the beginning, right? Because what I want is I want the players to get the meaningful touches and the problem that I've seen before, or at least I think it's a problem, is that when you start at a station and you only get one chance to do that, then by the time you've <clears throat> gone to the other stations and all the stations should complement each other, by the time you're done at the end, then the next time you go into that station should be even more effective right? You've seen all the situations that you're being faced. And if you're doing a good job and leading one into the other, then you've gotten a lot of skill through that whole rotation. So when you go back and do it again, then you should be at a higher level. But if you only do it once, then you don't really get a chance to practice it with the knowledge that you've gained everywhere else. So we really want to get the players moving every 10 minutes, keeps them going as well. Uh, which is great. Now, something that I also, we're going to be starting today is I bought on Amazon, it was a pack of 32 whiteboards. And what we're going to start doing is players are going to, throughout the whole rotation, keep score. And at the end of the session, they're going to be able to share that score with everyone else. And each player is really going to have their own marker with a racer and a whiteboard. So they put their name on it and that's great. And for me, that takes it to another level because now they want to win, right? So we're getting that competitiveness and we're really trying to get the players to be playing again with players of their skill level. So throughout the whole session, they're comparing themselves with other players who are in their kind of cohorts. And then at the end of the session, they can compare themselves with everyone at the training session. So throughout all of that, everything is at a high level. Now, the difficulty is for me when I go outside is it's not the same because I don't really have walls. Players are also in their cleats and it's a pain to have them switch and this and that. So now that we're indoors, it really provides that opportunity for creating repetition at a high level. So what do we use? Well, we use these benches 
okay, that, uh, you know, like the basketball benches, we turn them down. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure every school has these. And then we'll have players passing on those, right? So there we're not really limited by the wall. Usually what we use the wall for are two things. The walls with mats, the mats are the nets. And then uh, we use the walls for the blaze pods. So we put the blaze pods, we usually put four all around the facility, uh, the gym. Uh, if it's a big gym, then we'll put uh, six on. So two on kind of the sides and then uh, one on the kind of the north south and then four on the east west. So if you want to think of it like that. And then we have essentially the ability to scan in any session that we in any uh, situation that we have, right? Any of the three stations. So I'll talk about kind of just that first station because it's been really great, especially because we have a lot of players that are new in our academy. So we really want to focus on that ability to pass and receive with the right part. So what we do is we'll have them line up with a blaze pod so that can they can scan. And at that first level, all we're asking them to do is use one foot and to pass the ball okay, against that wall. And they're just using that one foot. Okay, making sure we're hitting the middle of the ball, using the correct part of the foot, that our ankles are locked, those types of things. And what you can get within two to three minutes is about, I don't know, 100 to 150 repetitions. And we would go right foot, then we would go left foot, um, and then we would go back right foot, left foot, that type of thing. Uh, and then when we go into about the third time, then we'll add a stop. So the first one is just one touch, okay? Because we really don't want to focus on receiving yet. We just want to focus on passing, okay? For those first three repetitions, then we go back, pass, touch, pass, touch, pass, touch. And again, all those coaching points of which part of the foot do we receive it? How do we receive it, right? Uh, talking about weight of uh, pass as well. That's when we started to get into that. And then the next step with that is usually we have each player in between two cones. So then we convert each player into one cone. Okay. And then we'll pass, take a touch to go from one side, from the right side to the left side, and then pass to the other side. So I pass the ball, I go behind the cone and that's all done. Maybe with my right foot, my right foot takes a touch to the left side, left side makes the pass. Okay. And then I make a pass with my left foot back to the right side and so on and so forth. So now we're starting to kind of do the movement that we're talking about. And again, we're doing that over and over and over again. We're talking about body shape. We're talking about getting low as we receive it. And just as we receive it, getting super low. And that's really a really good introduction for everyone, right? It gets everyone at least a thousand touches before they're on to the next because we're doing this for uh, 10 minutes, right? So it's very easy to get into the thousands of repetition of passing when it's boom, 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 right? Pass, 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 right? And it's consistent. So that's really that first session. And for you know the older players who this is much easier for, then we start to talk about as soon as you release it, can you scan and can you call out the color that you see, right? So that's been a really, really good exercise as kind of like a warm up, but also a really good way to hone in on the player's skills. Now, what's great about this and the reason that I'm talking about it 
is because you can use this type of environment for anything that you want to work on, right? So if you want to work on shooting, simply find a situation where you can get the maximum number of reps for the player. Same with deceptive dribbling, same with first touch, same with turning, anything that you want. But what you're looking for is not high repetition, but the highest possible repetition in an environment that's effective, right? So when we think about our three stations, that first one is very, very basic where we're just focusing on technique. And then we bring that into the next station and that next station starts to incorporate the ability to move forward, backward, and sideways. And then after that, the last station is when we start to get into more of a tactical situation, right? 4v2s, 4v1s, and we use a goal as well. So we incorporate shooting, right? So for us, in a minute of 30 minutes, those players have gone kind of through the cycle, and then they can go back and restart again, having been in those other environments and their second round should be much better than the first one and we can use the scores that they have and that they keep to see if the evidence really matches our theory now there are different ways to score right but what you're looking for in the score is meaningful scores right so i don't care if they've made a thousand passes but what i am looking for is how many passes have you made for example without making a mistake, right? So if your streak is 10, then that's your score for that, right? Um, for our rondos, right? How many passes did you make before scoring, right? 10, great. So maybe for every single pass that you make without a mistake, that's a goal. So if we make 10 passes before we score, that's 10 goals, right? So things like that, that really get us to work on what we want to work on, which is passing, receiving, first touch, turning, those types of things. And if this and if what we were looking at was actually different and it was more, you know, shooting, then we can talk about, okay, for you to get a point, you must do less than, I don't know, three passes before you score. Right? So we're getting the reps up for shooting. So we can change the environment and what the player's goals are based on the score, the way that we keep score. And I talked last week about King's League, the King's League, and that's what I love most about it because it's allowing for coaches to create the environment that they need by switching the way that we score, that we keep score. It's not just about goals, right? Because they're able to change the environment and make it effective that way through, you know, cards, different types of um, advantages, uh, size of the nets, number of players on the field. They're using so many different strategies that we have in soccer to really get the situation that they want in a variety of different situations, which end up being really entertaining. And that's really the same type of principle that we can take into our sessions, make sure that our players are playing against players of their likeness. And on top of that, making sure that they're in such a small group that the intensity is very high. Thanks for listening to another episode of Soccer Coaching Mastermind. If you're enjoying the show and you want to see some more really cool content, uh, you could also go to our website, 
Uh, it's just soccercoachingmastermind.com. You can also join our Facebook group, uh, Soccer Coaching Mastermind. Uh, just search that on Facebook. If you want to see my Monday meetings, I upload them on my YouTube channel, which is Gladiator Soccer. Uh, that's kind of, that's my academy. So everything that we do within our academy is on there. So, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram, I think I'm even doing like a TikTok for the show or something. Um, but yeah, so just look up gladiator soccer Academy. And then for the Facebook group, it's, uh, just soccer coaching mastermind. Also, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe, this is a new show. So, uh, if you were subscribed to coaching soccer weekly and you're back here, uh, it's a completely different show. So you're not going to get the updates if you don't subscribe to this one. Uh, so until next week, enjoy the journey, enjoy the moments, but most importantly, enjoy the game.